This is the June 2016 Golden Beer Box featuring Judy Dennison, and we'll be introducing Judy in a little bit. Uh, and I'm once again Frank Laha huh? and Don Parker. I'm sorry, so sorry. Don even lives near me, just over the hill. Um, I'm Frank Laha. I haven't been here for a few months, so I'm glad to see everything's still going. And uh, my, my, my wife, oh, and, and since, since we always said that we would be branded with appropriate branding from the brewery, at least the beer ambassador. It was either the Coors uh, t-shirt or the Leinenkugels t-shirt today, since we have a lot of Leinenkugels donated by Coors. And um, my wife, also known as the Beer Babe, is wearing the Coors t-shirt. So, so we have a little brand. And, and, and frankly, I don't know if there's Blue Moon t-shirts, but if there is one. Oh, there are. are they? Okay, I will acquire one. Next time we have Coors, I'll wear Blue Moon, if, if we've got some Blue Moon. We'll get it for Okay. And, once again, this is the proverbial free beer day. You know, free beer tomorrow. Well, it's actually free beer today. Donated by Coors and Fred Winter and Coors. And um, uh, beer trivia. So I, I had promised that there would be beer, beer trivia. I don't know if my wife has kept up the tradition in my absence. No, no prizes. Well, free beer is pretty good. And uh, today I'm wearing a Lion Kugels t-shirt, which dates to 1980 or 1981 when I was in college. And one night, four beers into a six-pack, I wrote Lion Kugels a love letter and got a signed letter back from Bill Lion Kugel at the time and two t-shirts and one hat. I couldn't find the hat, and I think I wore the other t-shirt out. But as you can see, this one's mostly been in my drawer for over 30 years. So that's where the Lion Kugels t-shirt came from. And uh, I also had a sweater from Lion but I had to buy that one. Uh, I really liked Lion Kugels when I was in college. So I'm, it's great having Lion Kugels be available here. First uh, Miller bought them, and then Coors and Miller merged. And so now Lion Kugels is part of the Coors family, but it's still brewed in Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin. So right there. So, uh, which is pretty cool. I like that. Mm. All right, so shandies. One of the beers that we have is a Leinenkugel shandy. A shandy is beer mixed with a soft drink or a juice. So a shandy could be mixed with apple juice or lemonade or other juices or a soft drink. So that's what a shandy is, and we've got a bunch of shandies uh, on tap, so to speak, today in bottles and cans. And um, the other piece of trivia was which of our craft breweries here in town uh, can we buy at a different liquor store? Who's canning or bottling their beer? And this was a question I actually didn't know the answer to uh, recently. Uh, Mountain Cove will be canning. I don't think that they're canning wine. I'm sorry, I misstated. Holidayly will be canning, but I don't think their canning wine is, is producing yet. Commercially, Holidayly is the new gluten-free, dedicated gluten-free brewery. Is it available retail or was it a test run? Okay. Well, anyway, they've got a canning line. They will be canning, and they will be distributing like pretty much nationwide. But uh, I, I think they're just getting started on that. Uh, canning line is new there. Mountain uh, Toad does not can. If you want Mountain Toad uh, beer, you're going to have to go to their brewery. Can except they've got tap rooms in Georgetown 
and Crickenberry. They've got tap rooms there, but no canning, no bottling, and they don't intend to. Golden City. Golden City has a canning line and a bottling line, and they do both. Right now, they're trying to phase out the bottles, but they're still doing both. And Golden City beer is available at pretty much all the liquor stores in town. It's on tap at a couple of the uh, restaurants in town. Um, they're trying to get back at Woody's. They've been at Woody's for over 20 years. Then through some management changes, they fell out that they're trying to get back at Woody's. And they're also carried at the larger liquor store, Golden City. Um, Cannonball Creek, you're gonna have to go to Cannonball Creek to get their beers, no cans, no bottles. Barrels and bottles, same thing. Um, did, I, did I cover them all or did I miss someone? Mountain Code. Cannonball, yep, I got them all. So that's a good video. And I'm going to turn it over now to Pamela, who's going to introduce our speaker. And if I rattle on too long, my apologies, but you have to go through beer trivia, right? Yeah. Thank you so much. So I'm going to connect uh, beer trivia with our speakers. I was going for a long hike on the Mesa with my brother this weekend. And as we were walking along, he stopped suddenly. And he reached into a bush. And somehow he had noticed there was a beer can in the bush. And he held it up. And he said, this is so offensive. This is not a local beer. <laughs> and we, we did take uh, both of house blue ribbon cans down um, and recycled them. But we realized that we ran into a bunch of people on the way and didn't explain why we were carrying house blue ribbon cans. <laughs> if you hear about that, you know the real story. Um, I'm super excited about this beer talk, so much so that I was telling everyone at work today, I work at the health department, I was telling everyone about it, and I got some public works, but then I would just open the blinds and say, that way, so right there, right there, it could have been something entirely different than what we're looking at. And I want to give a very brief history of both of these fine goldenites before we introduce them. And um, it was funny because when Whitney mentioned that I was introducing them, I thought, oh, I think I already know everything about them. But I actually found out a little bit of new information going and talking to them right before the slash Joe White. <laughs> so we're talking about John Parker. He's lived here for 25, over 25 years. Um, and we were, we actually just a few houses down from them. So they were some of the first neighbors we had when we moved in. Um, as you all probably know, um, they own Goldwing Solar, and John grew up on a ranch in northeastern Colorado. He has a degree in environmental engineering as well as law, so he was the perfect, perfect people to work on this topic we're going to hear about tonight. He likes botany, and then this is the trivia fact that I decided to add, is that John really loves his cats. And you can see him outside his house actually brushing his cats and talking to them. And then he loses the cat hair out, and the birds actually use it um, to build their nests, which I think is very cool. Um, so that's, that's a very brief introduction to Don. We could go on and on. Um, but I want to go ahead and introduce Judy Dennison, who has also lived in Golden for over 25 years. And I want to list um, the things that Judy has mostly established or is involved in all of these groups. So I wonder, is there anyone who thinks they could name all the groups that Judy's involved in? Go ahead and try. Anybody? No? Okay. I, I asked her to see what I was missing. The Golden Relief Group, which John is also a part of, I understand. The Belize Education Project, Sink, the Golden Community Choirs, Save the Outdoor Pool with John. That was where Judy told me they got their feet wet. 
Thank you. Thank you. Good. I should have had a 
I'm sure I had a, I'm sure I had a lot of uh, ginger shandy. <laughs> Maybe it would have come to me. Um, and so, and so, um, uh, but, uh, but uh, and, and then South Table Mountain was owned mainly by Coors and by the, the Bradley family. And there's still about 400 acres on top of South Table Mountain owned by the Bradley family that are uh, still in private hands. So we need to stick around for a while and get that done, including actually uh, Castle Rock. A lot of people don't know that Castle Rock is private property. I don't know what will ever happen there. First, many people know that there was a funicular going up there, and there was a dance hall on the top of South Table Mountain. And I don't know what would happen if somebody actually proposed to put another dance hall or funicular up, up South Table Mountain. We, we might not oppose that. I don't know. I'm opposed all development on South Table Mountain. So in the uh, in the, um, in the, I think it was about December uh, or January, December 1997, uh, talks had been going on privately with uh, Nike and some other, and some uh, local uh, government agencies in as early as August, at least, of 1997. But we found out, and I think it was late December 1997 or early January 1998, when uh, when, a, uh, when a headline appeared on the Goldie transcript that said the swoosh coming to Goldie, what? Like this? <laughs> and and um, and I was running for the legislature at the time, so I had I had uh, so people, so I had some access to the press and I made some comments about that not being such a good idea and saying that we would oppose, I would oppose it and I thought quite a few other people would too, and very quickly an organization. Came together, including Elliot and Brown and Wanda and Tom Atkins and many other people, and, and uh, Tom and Tom Hoffman, yeah, Tom and Tom Riley, uh, who uh, who uh, got together to figure out how to uh, to oppose the the uh, development. And we first called ourselves, uh, just don't do it. <laughs> that was a Nike uh, uh, slogan at the time: of just do it. I don't know, is that still their slogan? I don't know, it is. Uh -huh. and, um, and then we thought, well, we need a more positive vision. And so we decided we didn't want to oppose development. And somewhere it, came, it occurred to quite a few of us that instead of just opposing this development, as it as had been the case in all of the previous oppositions to uh, Various kinds of uh, quarries and other developments on South Table Mountain that we would actually, that we would uh, propose that the uh, mountains be preserved as open space, and we would stay together to make sure that got done, and, and we wouldn't disband as some of the previous organizations had. And so we've actually been doing that for 18 years now. Um, do you want to talk for a while? I want you to consider, as I'm talking, about the effect that happens when there's a bunch of people that have an opinion and somebody comes forth to get it going. It takes somebody to coalesce around. It takes somebody, to, some people to stand up and then everything comes together. And so we kind of, as I was saying, got our feet wet with the out, Save the Outdoor Pool Project, which was the year before 
they were going to do it. It was an example of sneakiness. Uh, the city was going to have a new library where it had been the rec center, but they didn't mention they were going to get rid of their outdoor pool. They were just sort of totally sneaking this through, and we found out through the grapevine. And there was no other outdoor pool at that time. So we started this little group called Save the Outdoor Pool. Stop, get it, the acronym, Save the Outdoor Pool. And uh, it was Don and Mary and me and Laura Call and Doug Alden. And we were, you know, we'd appear at city council with little red tags on, and we got signatures, and the city council didn't like it one bit. And they started threatening us that we were doing something illegal with collecting signatures and we were going to be sued or something. And it really scared us. And then people would say, don't you like the library? And then it scared us. And we were, we were, I myself was feeling pretty nervous, terrified, and terribly unpopular. And then suddenly, Marvin Case saved the day by proposing uh, a solution, a trailer. And so all of a sudden, we had succeeded. And so that gave us the courage to go forward, the same people, with Save the Mesas, okay? We saved the outdoor pool, we're going to save the Mesas. Yeah. <laughs> so, we had, as far as I recall, I saw it in the Denver Post in January, and we were having a dinner with Don and Mary, Doug Oldens, me, and Fortune Masterson, who had a bunch of stuff, and we decided we had to do something about this. So we started the group, and we had our meetings at higher ground. Marcy had it at that point, Marcy Miller. And we just put out a notice, and people came every week. And eventually it built up so that 80 people were coming for a two-hour meeting, and half of them were standing up because you know how small that is. And everybody was very passionate. So people were getting these signatures. Now we figured out we weren't going to sue if getting signatures. We got 1,000 signatures in a week. And we discovered that we thought maybe we had 60% support. We discovered we had 90% support. And then Transcript did a survey separately, and they discovered we had 90% support. So here is the example. We did not cause this. What we did was sort of give a direction to it. So um, we had various projects going, but Don is now going to talk about how it was organized by a person who came who was an organizer. Yeah. Um, we were really stumbling. Yeah, go ahead. Please. Can you explain what you were writing again? Oh, goodness. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, well, <laughs> Thank Nike, you. <laughs> Nike was proposing uh, a facility on the top of South Table Mountain. Some people called it a shoe factory, but really it was probably going to be a, a headquarters or a second headquarters. So that was when we were talking about Nike. So it would have been a pretty substantial development and, and put roads going up and down. So, and you know, how serious were they? We don't really know. They, they, they have their headquarters in Beaverton, Oregon, and still do, as far as I know. They may have just been out looking for uh, incentives so that they could then go back to Beaverton and say, hey, give us something better. But they might have also come to South Table Mountain and said, wow, you know, this is pretty neat. You know, we would actually move our facility to a place like this. Yeah. Regardless of whether they were serious or not, they got the attention of the governor of Colorado at the time, the mayor and the city manager of Golden, the uh, board of county commissioners in Jeffco. So 
folks here were very serious about bringing them. That's exactly right. Yeah. And so, and so we stumbled around quite a bit, answering the same questions at the meetings week after week, you know, passing around petitions and talking about and getting some press coverage, which really helped quite a bit. Um, but uh, uh, one night we came into a meeting and and. Uh, the guy was sitting next to me, and I'm not sure exactly how I got to be the organizer, maybe just because I, I had been one of the first people, not necessarily, but I think Wanda and Elliot and Tom were pretty, pretty early in on it, too. Um, and somebody saved a seat for a guy who, who said, oh, my brother wanted to see if he could help me organize. And that turned out to be uh, Cliff Hughes, who lives over in Rimrock, and I, I haven't heard much about him in years. I don't know if he's still in town or not. Oh, very good. And he's a professional organizer. He put us in, he organized us into committees, and then uh, we set priorities for each of the committees. And then people were responsible to get together and to report back on what they had accomplished during, uh, during the interval between one week and the next week. And just as an example, we, um, we decided that we needed to start sending out a lot of postcards to uh, elected officials and the Economic Development Commission um, officials. I think Wanda was running that. Oh, and you were running that. And I think, were you running that? And I think that was that was uh, one of the things that Cliff used, one of the committees that uh, we put together. And then we started going around to shopping centers and various places and getting postcards signed by people. All oh, very early stages. Yeah. We're not talking about the ability to have a, a website, uh, email of any significance. We have email. Yes. Down, dirty, grassroots Yes, and, then, and it wasn't long before some of the officials started backing off, and I'll let you talk some about that. Okay, well, my job was internal communication, and that's what the Golden Newsletter grew out of, because that event, it kept on. I kept it on in case we needed to jump. Uh, the newspapers were our best friends. The transcripts covered it all the time. Uh, Denver Post, Rocky Mountain News, front page. But the thing is, the city council said, we don't know anything about this. Uh, no, we need an office. We, we, don't, we, we don't know anything about this. This is the first we know about. And they were lying to their teeth because we have these letters. Um, I've got copies of them here if you guys want to look. Uh, about, they're so enthusiastic about company X coming and we know you'll be greatly welcomed and so on. And, uh, so the organization, we had um, two strategy of vision items. First was to stop Nike. We just don't do it. Oh, and they also said, oh, there's going to be uh, the average salary of the job will be $40,000. Well, you know what that means. It means 20 jobs at $10,000 or $1 at $100,000. That's average. Um, so one of the things, the first thing was to stop 
they're building here. And the second thing was to do a permanent phase because you win and 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 you lose once and you've lost forever. And so that's too much work. So that's why the second phase. Um, so we've appeared often on TV also, Channel 7 I think it was. We got a lot of coverage. Um, and then we got picked up on the Associated Press and people in Alaska were reading about our battle with Nike. And then someone saw it in the London Economist <laughs> about how Nike wanted to plow, P-L-O-U-G-H, plow up a scenic hillside. <laughs> uh, I have a son-in-law who is a PR person, so he has always been giving me good advice. One of the things I took on myself to do was I called some of the news, I called the newspapers at the other locations that Nike was considering and said, I'm from Golden, how can we help you get Nike instead of us? That was different for them. Okay. And also, the petition, we got a thousand signatures in a week and took it to the county commissioners and, as you said, city council. And I don't know where else. Um, now the council and the staff, uh, what they said about our efforts, first of all, uh, the mayor wrote an editorial in the paper about how negative we were because we were saying, just don't do it. But by the time the article came out, we had already changed their name. Um, and then they said it was premature, it was, we were negative, and they said, we don't know anything about it. And in the meantime, they had this secret offer. Um, and there was an article I read in Denver Post about it. And it was a quote from the, the economic development person for the state. And this is what he said, quote, well, overcoming citizens' opposition is just part of the procedure. So then they tried to get us to compromise. Well, you know, you can have soccer fields and blah, blah, blah. You have an auditorium and blah, blah, blah. And we did not compromise. We were not going to compromise about anything. Now, people say you can't get anything done unless you compromise. But say if you hold out and hold out and hold out, you can get, like like Marjorie did with the, with the, with the beltway, we finally got, after 13 years of holding out everything we had wanted. So this is what happened with State of Nature. So then a lawyer named Barney White, um, quietly, without telling us what he was doing, went in the Open Records Act, and he got all these open records, the letters, um, the smoking gun, the letters in which they were offering uh, encouragement, and sub tax, uh, tax abatement to Nike. So they have been lying. And I have some, I'll pass, you can look at these. These are some of the letters. Okay. So the thing that finally won it, Pre Preston Driggers, very quiet, he didn't say what he was doing. He just quietly wrote. Let, uh, made up a packet of all this front page stuff and all. And he sent a packet to each of the 12 external directors of the Nike Board of Directors. External meaning they've been working for the company. 
Within three weeks, he had an answer from one of them saying, we were not aware of this. There's a meeting coming up soon, and I will see if it is addressed. And in April, we got notified that they were withdrawing. And we had, we had good enough, so officially, they withdrew their application to build here. And we had a good enough email communication. I came home from work. I got on the email. I said, we're having a party at higher ground. And we had 50 people at the party because email was working. <laughs> and, uh, uh, what? April 1998. Okay, now it's Don's turn. Here you go. So really, just uh, just that four months is what it took to uh, to win the initial uh, battle with uh, with Nike and with uh, all the public officials that uh, wanted to uh, wanted to bring Nike to South Pacific Mountain. So then we so then we uh, started working on some other stuff. All of North Table Mountain was still in uh, private hands, uh, Lafarge, and uh, South Table Mountain was held by the Bradley family and by Coors. And so, um, and, uh, and Coors and, uh, and the Bradley family, Leo Bradley, uh, the attorney, had, a, had an agreement that Leo would represent them on all uh, issues, correct me if I'm wrong, as long as he was alive. And so, and so as long as he was alive, um, that agreement stayed in place. Um, yeah, please do. A little note about Coors, because Coors owned the land, and we were trying to get, you know, we were trying to get it, you know, they were the ones who were trying to sell it to Nike. Coors at that time had a slogan saying, Coors brings people together. Coors brought people together in opposition to what they wanted to do. Uh, so, um, we were, we were, uh, talking with Leo Bradley from time to time. And of course, the Jefferson County Open Space would be talking with Leo Bradley. They were already very familiar with him and had bought some other property from him in, uh, in uh, Clear Creek Canyon and various other properties around the, around the uh, county. And, um, and then, uh, and, but there hadn't been a lot of progress on, uh, on either of the table mountains. And then, uh, uh, M.L. Richardson, uh, who worked for Lafarge, came to us and came to the county and said that they'd like to trade about uh, 470 acres on North Table Mountain for 70 or 70 or 80 acres next to their quarry over by uh, Heritage Square, and uh, well, it was a good deal. And so we ended up uh, we ended up uh, supporting that deal, and that deal went through, and that brought all of, suddenly brought all of North Table Mountain into open space. We did lose 70 or 80 acres of, of, of what was Jefferson County open space over by the over by the quarry, but it did allow them to continue their quarrying operations. And we need to get gravel from somewhere. But um, South Table Mountain then was was uh, more difficult. Uh, and Leo was uh, the negotiator and really wanted to do something with the land, and then we had this agreement with Coors that. He would represent them on all, on all issues having to do with South Table Mountain. Um, so when Leo uh, uh, passed away and uh, Pete Coors was running for the U.S. Senate, 
we thought it was a good time to approach them again about the idea of selling on the Coors property to, to uh, uh, get Jefferson County open space. And, uh, and they did. They, talked, they, they ended up doing that. Um, Michelle Lawrence and the other two county commissioners, John Stone and, uh, and uh, um, uh, John Holloway. Pat Holloway, yeah. Very good memory. Um, Jim? Um, all worked with, uh, with uh, Coors, Peter Coors and others at Coors. And they, I think they pretty much struck a deal before the Senate campaign was over and before the election.
Yeah, well said. Go ahead. Okay, so while they were doing the political stuff very effectively, there was a citizen uh, rallying going on too. Uh, after we had, we, we knew that we wanted to preserve it, and so we were still doing things. So at the Buffalo Bill Day parade uh, that same year, 1998, we were all in our t-shirts like this, and we were marching along and joined us. Save the Mesas, open space. Save the Mesas, open space. Say it, everybody. Save the Mesas, open space. Save the Mesas, open space. We were noticeable. <laughs> The second thing that we did that summer is we started the Mesa Music Fest, and Wanda was in charge of that. And uh, it went on for eight years. I, what I was doing, I was in charge of volunteers. I had 80 volunteers working on it. Kurt Lincoln was in charge, as I recall, of getting the bands that gave their time. I don't remember what bands we had besides Bob Hayworth. Bob Hayworth was the one-man band, and he also was a member of the second generation, so to speak, of uh, Kingston Trio for 20 years. So he was quite a musician, and he was, in, and here's an interesting thing. We had Republicans and we had Democrats. We were all working together on one issue. This is a good lesson, too. Don't muddy the waters. Stick to one issue. The Democrats wanted to save the environment, and the Republicans didn't want to spoil their view. <laughs> And Bob Hayworth is as Republican as they come. We differ vastly on gun control, but we were together on the open space and we've been together on some other issues. So stick with the one issue, you can make a coalition. Um, so, uh, as I said, that one, and the purpose of the Mesa, and here we go, this is the Mesa Music Fest shirt. And Wanda organized all that stuff. She got the paintings and everything. Um, and the purpose was to raise awareness of open space issues. It was on one day in August. Um, and we had booths for the, uh, you know, whatever open, whatever environmental people wanted to, and other things. So, um, now you can go to the bond issue. Oh, okay. Um, Um, I was not as active on the bond issue as some other people were. Do you want to say? Do you want to say something about the bond issue? Yeah, yeah. This is Elliot Brown. Elliot Brown. This is his wife, Wanda. Uh huh. I. Um, approximately $2 million per year 
The whole open space program, by the way, in case you don't know, in Jefferson County, is funded by our sales tax. And as good as our sales tax ever was, coming right now, but as good as it ever was, we were getting about $2 million of revenue into the acquisitions budget. Now, $2 million sounds like a lot of money, does not go very far in purchasing open space. The average uh, parcel of land went to something like $7,000 an acre. And you're not going to take the time in 1998 dollars. So these guys said, what we need is a bond. We need $160 million in bond money. Okay, what does that mean? It means that we've got to get tax-averse Jefferson County Republicans, and you know who you are, to agree to going into debt. But they used spades and aces, they used uniting on South Table Mountain as a, a, a lever to get this bond through. And I think it's very significant that the folks who did this, mainly Plandesco and the county, who had no recent experience in citizen outreach, who did they come to? Us. They came to Save the Mesas, they came to Table Mountain Conservation Fund, they came to me and Rhonda, they said, you guys, be on our board for the, uh, the bond initiative. And we had a very successful bond campaign. Like a political campaign, we went around campaigning for open space. And just to let you know, when Republicans win, I know this sounds very partisan, but when Republicans win in Jefferson County, they usually win 60-40. Don well knows he was on the losing end, the 40% end, of several elections. <laughs> so he knows very well what happens to uh, progressive causes in, 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 in Jefferson County. But that bond initiative won 70-30. So you know you know people were crossing party lines, crossing ideological lines to vote for open space. And so when you think of our open space, don't think of it as a partisan issue. Think of it as a people issue, because that's what it was, and that's what made it so successful when we opposed Nike and when we got the, um, the bond initiative through. Vote for open space whenever you can, as often as you can. <laughs> Let's just talk a couple minutes about the, uh, the long-term effect of, uh, of um, Save the Mesas and the Nike battle is open. Uh, we, we had at the time uh, a uh, culture in the city government that was much more pro-development. And there were good reasons for it. The downtown wasn't great. The city didn't, wasn't extremely prosperous. Um, 
people were talking about it, you know, soon drying up and blowing away, we didn't bring in Nike or something, and, which was a huge exaggeration. Um, and and uh, as a result of uh, just that four month period when uh, they were secretive too, yeah, I'd say that's right. Now I'd say we have a much more open government and much more, I want to, uh, and, and a government much more interested in in the quality of life in the city, and, and uh, much more attuned to that issue, I think, and not so attuned to the idea of bringing uh, more development and growth to the city. Now, we already had the 1% growth rate by that time. Laura McCall and Valerie Walker and some others have gotten that back. And uh, that was popular. Um, but still, the, the, uh, the, all of the uh, Motivation, I'd say the principal motivation of the of a lot of the city staff and the city council at that point was still was still uh, developed. And we've got a much different council now than, than we did then. So um, it was a short fight itself, although it's we're not quite done. There's still 400 and some acres. Of of uh, Bradley property we'd like to get on South Table Mountain. Uh, but it had, uh, it had a good influence on, this, on uh, the whole community, I think, city of Golden and the community beyond. We, and, the, and, and we're still uh, reaping the benefits of that time. I want you to tell about your meeting with Corey and about. I Bar to 
get over in terms of convincing people that this wasn't a good thing. And never mind the fact that the economy wasn't so great at that time. Mm -hmm. Just coming out of the, the tech um, implosion. And so folks were ready for something good economically to happen in New York. We, we had a lot of, uh, we had overcome a lot to get opposition going for the, uh, for the 90s. And uh, we did. Never, never deny the power of open space. It is a concept that folks will rally around. So, I would say everything that can get 5,000 people in and out of diabetes every day. Not to mention that that would mean about 15,000 increase in population if they all came from Oregon. Right. There's a road that goes, well, there are two roads. There's a road that goes up onto the top near the, uh, yeah. the racetrack. And then we, in Rimrock, one of the reasons our subdivision, our neighborhood rallied so strongly behind the opposition is that we knew that the road that went up right at the edge, the western edge of our subdivision was a prime place for a road to go up on right to the castle lot. So there was, there was, there was no new opportunity for proposals being made for strategies to get 5,000 people up on the Nothing, uh, nothing was too outrageous. Uh, I think you might be interested in hearing Don's uh, interactive interview with Pete Tours. Um, well, I was thinking about something else, but I remember um, that uh, Greg Stevenson, who was the chairman of the Open Space Advisory Committee, and I was on the Open Space Advisory Committee just before that, too. Um, had, um, said he had had a conversation with Leo Bradley about uh, how much, uh, how much uh, Leo admired the bridge that went over the highway and into uh, the, the uh, north part of the uh, Denver West development there. And he was very interested in using that for getting up on the South Pinto Mountain, too. So that was one another access point that I know they were thinking about. Well, what Judy was talking about was a few of us actually got a meeting with Pete Ford. Yeah. We're sitting in the inner sanctum sanctum of court. And Pete comes in, sits down, very imperious. I mean, he just sits there, he looks at us, he has his hands together like this. He doesn't ask who we are. No introduction is made at all. And he says, I am philosophically opposed to open space. Publicly owned open space. I believe that private landowners are the best stewards of the land. And I'm sitting next to Don, Preston Driggers is on my right side. Ed Perlmutter was there too. I, I, yeah, he might have been. And I said to 
It's on. What the hell are we here for? Yeah, there was Get nothing. Get out of here. <laughs> this is going nowhere. That's what we were up against. And in the course of four years, that all changed. And it changed because of the political will associated with the community. I, I'm, I'm personally a believer in the fact that the community plan is the single biggest weapon that citizens have in determining land use in Jefferson County. The county is divided um, north, central, south, plains on the east, mountains on the west. Every one of those sectors has its own community plan, and it comes up for um, review and reinstitution, re-voting re re every few years. Don't be asleep at the wheel the next time that community plan comes up, because the people who are your natural enemies <laughs> won't be asleep. They'll be at that meeting trying to change the way the, the land use in your area looks, feels, and smells. One thing I liked about, what I heard about that talk was that Pete Coors said that we had turned everybody against the project. And we hadn't. He attributed the, to us more power than we had. What we had done was harness what was already there. So, Tom? Just a reminder to, that with the Coors family that sold its Coors owns the, the, the land around the edges of, of the mesa, all the slope, all the way around the mesa of the Coors. They, they sold or gave that, that uh, land to Nobody gave it. Excel 
had agreed to bury those power lines for the benefit of the development of the so everybody was on board. I mean, we had a, a, a huge uh, hurdle to overcome because there were a lot of very powerful people who wanted, whether it was realistic or not, who wanted that the corporate headquarters to be on the Barb has a question. I do. Uh, first of all, I live with South Table Mountain in my backyard, and I'm very grateful that it's open space now. So thank you for the work you did on that. In fairness, I'm curious whether the people who uh, owned the property, I think Coors and the Bradley family had both held on to that property for 100 years. Did they feel fairly compensated? I don't know how they felt, but um, but but they did make uh, deals where they got money for everything they got. Um, and I think, uh, as Peter Elliott points out, I think the value of that land may have gone down after the community plan was changed. Although the zoning was never changed, it was always agricultural. But uh, there were really two core entities we worked with, Food Tech and Elisa G. Open Space worked with, and the whole community too. But uh, Coors Tech and Coors Brewing Company. Coors Tech was the first one to uh, reach an agreement with Jefferson County Open Space. And they they sold some land, I think, but mostly they gave a conservation. I don't think they gave a conservation easement, though. I think they sold it. They sold the conservation easement. Sold the conservation, they sold the conservation easement. They didn't give anything. And you know, they had their reasons. Being a publicly traded company and stuff, they thought, well, they couldn't just give away assets. So, so they thought they got a fair deal for the for both the that, and, and then of course Brewing Company, I think, figured they would got a fair deal for the for the Coors land on South Table Mountain. And the Bradley's and the Bradley is still on their land, so we haven't we don't we haven't bought that. And uh, we're still 
servicing the debt. And uh, every year, the normal revenue stream that supplies acquisition, remember I told you that $2 million, gets bigger and bigger because we pay off more and more of that debt. Um, so, let's, uh, let's let Charlene ask this question or comment.